Hello everyone, welcome to Figment of My Reality, where we talk about the true stuff that makes this big old world seem made up. I'm the first co-host, Jeremy Bales. And I'm your other co-host, Jason Wright. So, Jeremy, where we're living right now, things are starting to change a little bit. We're not, quote-unquote, in the red area anymore. So you, um, must, you must be in the yellow, then. Yeah, this, uh, I guess, we're labeling... Uh, stay at home by colors now and what what i found was interesting is it was originally a t- a three-tiered system the basic traffic light schematic of red yellow green right <laughs> and right then, makes sense which, yeah you think so you think that'd be enough for somebody so recently um i think jason you can attest to this we just added orange because we didn't have quite enough stoppers between red and yellow. And well, I think what happened was we all decided we were going to get a yellow and then some sensible people spoke up and everybody's like, well, wait, maybe not yellow, but we don't want it to be red, orange. We don't want to limit everybody's freedom of movement quite as much as red. But you know we we're not them to be able but to we're move not as quite as, as ready to let them have that much freedom of movement as yellow. <laughs> so we we came up with a brand new system. It's the red, yellow, orange, green system. <laughs> yeah, man. We, so we need to throw in another color between uh, yellow and green. Yeah, it's got to be some sort of indigo or blue, right? Yeah, yeah. Are we blue? <laughs> blue zone, blue zone. <laughs> That's when there are masks and distancing is still necessary, but everything's open. Everything's open. It's more. It's a three foot radius, <laughs> and you only have to have a mask cover your mouth and not your nose. Well, the- <laughs> which I see too many people doing anyway. Yeah, Can I just I get just behind that. Say, I was just gonna say there are tons of people walking around. I was like, why are you even wearing a mask? You got your big old <laughs> nostril sticking out there, spewing whatever around. Oh my goodness me! All right, Dubber, I am going to take point on this week's episode. So my story happens. 1817, April 3rd specifically. Yes, I have specific dates. That's how well uh, well researched this one is. <laughs> the unusual dates, the timestamp things. <laughs> All those doubters Man. can step off to. <laughs> you're, you're just deep in this story already. I will say this is another podcast first for us, Jason, which is three weeks in a row, I think. Um, this is a story actually sent in by a listener, and... They thought it was interesting enough for us to talk about, and ding derna, I agree. So on April third, eighteen seventeen, in a you're blowing my mind. All these dates, these dates, it's it's crazy. <laughs> it's the same one, but the more I say it, it sounds more true. <laughs> it's just setting in. Uh, a small village called Almondsbury. It's a, a couple miles north of Bristol, which is southwest England, right? So a shabbily dressed woman, not a whole lot of material goods appears. She only has with her a couple of basic toiletries, like a bar of soap, that type of thing. And the most curious thing about this woman who seemingly appeared out of nowhere was that she spoke, quote, an exotic language no one in the village could understand. Now, I don't know how well versed people in Southwest England were with the world in 1817, but I imagine there's quite a few languages that they weren't really familiar with. I'm sure. There's quite a few that I don't think we would be familiar with. In 2020, I agree. <laughs> so, out of curiosity, Jason, what would be your instant response if someone came in, a, a friendly neighbor moved in, and 
spoke to I don't think you. that's I don't think that's what's happening. You described to me somebody just walk, walking around with a bar of soap came up to me and started babbling nonsense. Started speaking I would, gobbledygook. If you I would I would think they might need some help. <laughs> well, that's actually the exact reaction of this town. So they they basically just assumed that she was a beggar, and they took her to the person who oversee, oversaw the local poorhouse. But instead of taking her in. This man was very diligent in his anti-terrorism ideals. <laughs> he he was suspicious of her foreign agents following the climate of the Napoleonic Wars. So he turned her over to the local magistrate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. So the magistrate in his employ had a Greek valet who had a lot of knowledge about Mediterranean languages. And he, he went to this valet and he said, hey, do you have any idea what she's saying, what she's asking for? So there was uh, a hope that he might be able to decipher who she was, what she wanted, where she came from, that type of thing. But when he asked in, in a plethora of different languages, she, the woman, uh, just emptied her pockets. So that clearly didn't sort of get through to her. <laughs> Magistrate, obviously su- suspicious, wasn't having it. But thankfully, his wife was a bit more empathetic, I guess, a little bit more caring and probably fascinated, I would say. A little bit more curious. This whole thing seems a little weird to me because I, I, as far as I understand, they suspect her of being some type of spy or terrorist. Right. Who, when they try to tell tell her hello, just empties her pockets out, and they're, they think she's very dangerous. Super dangerous. You know, foreigners, it's that xenophobic mindset. Of... All those secret spy coins that she dropped out of her pockets. <laughs> they're listening devices. <laughs> At that point, I don't know if they'd be closer to listening devices technology or she's a witch technology. <laughs> I'm not sure where 1817 follows. So the magistrate's wife, being this empathetic woman that she was, arranged for this mysterious woman to spend a night at the local inn. But at that point, her behavior became even more unfamiliar, even more erratic, even more, I might say, crazy. She refused to eat, drank only tea, and whenever she did partake of the tea, she would say a, quote, bizarre prayer beforehand while holding one hand over her eyes additionally (laughs) go ahead that's what makes them think it's a prayer just because she's doing something with her hands (laughs) she might she just didn't want to look at them she's saying peekaboo in her unusual (laughs) language and she's obviously british if she only drink tea case closed got him Jason, you got him. <laughs> Another sort of peculiar attribute of this woman, when she got shown her room with a bed, it seemed like she had no idea what the bed was about, and she just slept on the floor instead. So Ooh. she's an alien. <laughs> Obviously, that was a bit strange of an interaction for the for the inn's staff. Uh, what they were able to sort of get through her communications was that she would continually point to herself and say that her name was Caribou. Caribou was the only word that they could get out of her. And so that's what they started to call her, is Caribou. However, back to this magistrate, he was kind of fed up and wanted really nothing more to deal with her because he was like, you know what? Not a terrorist, not a spy, beggar. We're done. And he had her arrested (laughs) because she was vagrant. (laughs) Good. Good. That's what we should do. Just arrest people. (laughs) They can't speak. They don't know how to say any word but their name. Arrest them. 
great person, great great government. Also, I don't understand how this person got all the way to a magistrate by just speaking oh. some language. <laughs> like no, no, no. The magistrate was the guy who was um, given basically her oversight after the original guy. Okay. The magistrate is like a local uh, judge, basically. Yeah, but how do you? I just don't. I just don't see how it goes from, hey, here's this lady who we don't understand what she's saying. Now you watch her, judge. She's your problem. <laughs> You're watching her. Well, apparently, apparently, Almondsbury had very few criminal. Yeah, activity. for real. That they could just have the only, the only judge care and watch this one woman. <laughs> so after she spent a couple of days at St. Peter's Hospital for Vagrants, which sounds just like a fancy name for crazy people slash prison, mm-hmm. again, the magistrate's wife stepped in and removed her from that location. Um, at this point, though, the news in Almondsbury had started to spread and a bunch of curious people were visiting the woman bringing people who could speak different languages. Um, And this happened over a 10-day period. And more and more people came, and no one could uh, interpret what she said until someone figured it out. (laughs) This is where it gets good. It's usually how (laughs) things work. (laughs) You you usually go until someone figures it out. Or you just throw them in jail. You got a couple options. Figure it out or yeah. go to jail. There was a Portuguese sailor named Manuel, Manuel, uh, and his last name, I have no idea how to pronounce. It's E-Y-N-E-S-S-O, and he happened to be in Bristol, and he wanted to have a go at trying to see what this what language this woman spoke. Having done a lot, a lot of travels in his life, he recognized Caribou's language as a mixture of native tongues from Sumatra and immediately began to translate her story. According to Caribou, she said she was a princess of um, an Indian Ocean island of Javasu, who had been kidnapped from her homeland by pirates and held captive before escaping by jumping overboard in the Bristol Channel. She then had wandered the countryside for several weeks before finding herself in Almondsbury. So far, pretty wild, right? Yeah, yeah. In my mind, I'm trying to decide though: is this a BA princess who escaped, or some world traveler who just wanted to fuck around <laughs> and tell a story about this woman? He's like, eh, time to have some fun. The magistrate's wife was so excited upon hearing this news that basically she was vindicated in her belief that this woman needed to be cared for. There were parties and. Um, celebrations in in Princess Caribou's honor for the next 10 weeks. She, Princess Caribou, was basically the the belle of the ball for all of this. There were several people who had scrutinized her, trying to verify this, and there were people from high high society who were super ready to believe this. And there was a a man named Dr. Wilkinson um, basically wrote an account of her, noting, quote, Nothing has yet transpired to authorize the slightest suspicion of Caribou until it changes. <laughs> so as the, the news of Caribou continued to spread, it got printed in a bunch of, um, you know, newspapers and media and, and it found a way to uh, a local boarding house a couple towns away to a woman named Mrs. Neal 
who unfortunately enough for Princess Caribou immediately recognized her. Not as a Javanese princess, however, but her name was Mary Baker, who was a cobbler's daughter from a village 70 miles away. <laughs> How'd she know how to speak this language? You were right, Jason. Princess Caribou was an absolute hoax so mrs neal snitched her out to the magistrate's wife the magistrate's wife made a trip to this village 70 miles away under the pretense of having a painting made for princess caribou but she really wanted to talk to mrs neal i have a question go ahead if the punishment for being poor and needing help is you get arrested yep what is the punishment <laughs> for, for pretending about being a princess <laughs> we'll get into that <laughs> So after some corroboration with uh, Mrs. Neal and the magistrate's wife, it was undoubtedly Mary Baker, not Princess Caribou. So once the news broke about Caribou's falsehood, you'd think that everyone would immediately turn against her, especially the presses. Nope. They basically <laughs> spun the tale as a triumph of somebody who's in the work working class over the high class. <laughs> It even came to be that the magistrate's wife came to appreciate Mrs. Baker's lie. Oh, my gosh. Yep. It reminds me of that episode of The Office where that that woman comes in and takes the management job. And she just walks in and she sits in the manager's seat and says, well, there's nobody here. I guess I'm the manager. <laughs> like, that's just not how things work. You can't just it's, say you're something. It's all about the confidence. Are. If you have confidence, I mean, you can assume command. <laughs> I mean, I understand visualizing your goals and achieving them, but just saying <laughs> I'm this doesn't mean you are. Jason Wright, I am a king among America. I am the king of America. <laughs> I'm the king of quarantine. Exactly. Following that, Baker moved to America and tried to, with some mixed success, cash in on her story. But unfortunately, the caribou craze, as it was referred to, had sort of died down. For quite a while, she stayed in America. But ultimately, she moved back, living close to Bristol, where she, I think, sold leeches was to the local infirmary, was her vocation. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> oh, how the mighty have fallen. <laughs> this princess is peddling leeches. The biggest thing that I sort of wanted to know about was this Portuguese sailor who allegedly understood her language. Yeah. But there was no... <laughs> There's no, yeah, there's how no, about him? No how story. about him making this shit up? <laughs> there's no story behind his his ability to make it up. And as it stands currently, there's still no info on him. <laughs> I, I just saw straight through his fake language knowing. Like. <laughs> you know what would be funny is if she was speaking this language and it wasn't really her idea to be Princess Caribou. But he was just like, I wanted to act like a big shot. It was like, oh, yes, yes, okay, yeah. That's exactly what I think happened. He's a world traveler, and he wants to be like, oh, I'm so learned, and I know everything about the world, and I know this language. This woman is just mumbling and just making noises. Yeah, and basically she just went along with it. She was an a an accomplice, not necessarily the prim yeah. primary trespasser. She's not the bad guy. She's an accessory. That's exactly right. And that is the story behind Princess Caribou, the first ever story that was recommended to us. Thank you again to our listeners.
my story is going to take us to eastern China. You know what? I think that's the first time we've gone to the Asian Pacific area, I think. It's hard to keep track. I mean, we have a whole 11 episodes out. <laughs> it's just too many to keep track <laughs> yeah, of. It's too many things to keep track of. Uh-huh. Um, it's We're going to the Lake of Hangza, and it is in Hawaiian. Hawaiian? Hawaiian? Hawaiian. <laughs> Hawaiian. Wait a second, the Jason. City, the city of Hawaiian. <laughs> not Hawaii. Hawaiian. I know. It's it's Hawaiian. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Tell me about Hawaiian. So, at this Hangza Lake, um, they have a festival every year. Okay. And it is to celebrate the mitten crabs and kind of pull the community together. It originated as a place where vendors could come and sell all these crabs, but it's kind of turned into more of a community event now. Most of these crabs are sold nationally and across the world through different contracts and things so there isn't a big financial purpose to this festival anymore but it started out as a financial thing it started out as a financial thing but now they're pulling 60 tons of crabs out of this lake every year 60 tons how big is this lake how big are these crab how big is the crab how much does one weigh from the images, they kind of look like a blue crab. If you don't know what a blue crab is, if you hold your thumb and your pinky out, they're about that big. Gosh. So they pull out tons of these crabs, and they sell them all over the world now. But originally, it started as a, like I said, a business venture, bring people in and make bigger sales and stuff. But yeah. if you're having a festival, you have to have something to draw people in, right? Talent shows, balloons, bouncy castles. <laughs> Exactly. You need you need something <laughs> to bring people in more, other than business. People don't just want to buy crabs. They want entertainment with people their crabs. People don't do business right? ventures for business. <laughs> yeah, they do it for the crab fashion show that they've had for the past 70 what, years. What did you just say? <laughs> A crab fashion show. <laughs> they, they dress up these, these little mitten crabs in various different outfits in in different ways and they have themselves a crab fashion show do they have a crab runway (laughs) (laughs) we'll get there but i mean i don't know how you get to the idea of okay we need to bring business in what do we do (laughs) we dress up the inventory (laughs) can you imagine doing with that with any other product Our Skittles just aren't selling. <laughs> I have all these different jars of salsa. How are we going to bring them in? Let's dress them up. Put a hat on it. We're good. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, it has to be a sombrero. <laughs> let me let me ask you this. Is it just shell painting or is it actual like costumes? Before I get into it, I want to know how you would dress your crab up. And then we can get into what they actually do. Okay. Well, I would obviously have several crabs as the Avengers. Okay, yeah. Um, you need one big crab to be the Hulk. Yep, exactly. All green. Easy paint. <laughs> Easy paint job. <laughs> I'll probably do some arrows on one. Call him Avatar Aang. So you're going to go more of the, the comic book slash yeah, animated like way. nonfiction. I was thinking like one for each house of um, Game of Thrones. Gotcha. Well, those are good Those are good ideas. They, they do touch on that. They, they do anything from ribbons and bows and crowns to lace and different things like that they also they also do things like you're saying specifically like anime stuff because it is 
that would be probably more cultural for them. Sure. I do have some images here. One couple dressed up their crabs as a married, a traditional Chinese married couple on their wedding day. Oh, how delightful! Um, with with a little beard and mustache on one for the man, <laughs> and a dress and pearls on the other one for the woman. There's an image. There's an image here of somebody with nice bows tied all over the crab. Can we go back to the the crab beard, please? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's so where would you put your crab's beard? <laughs> where would you put it on their face? I, I think so. Oh, I, I don't know where else. That's I would not put what beard. this guy did. Oh my gosh. Is it more? Is he wearing it more as a cape? He has a face drawn on his back. There it is. And he, and he put the beard on his back. Um, we got some bows and a crown, and then they have a whole other set of criteria and a different competition for painted crabs oh so there's actually fashion and then there's also like a face painting yes exactly which i'm looking at one of these pictures of a painted crab which is very well done Mm. with a with kind of a background solid color with nice flowers painted on Yes. Like all over the crab, even on the legs, all the way down to the tip of the leg. I want to know, how do you hold this crab down to paint (laughs) this detail on? Two questions, maybe more after we get into it. One, what's the the thinking of the crab? (laughs) It's just pissed (laughs) because it's powerless against anything like paint related. Um, Two... How does one select the crabs and select the dressers up slash painters of these crabs? What is the criteria? How do they get there? Why are these crabs the special ones? Why do the other ones get eight? I'm not sure why these crabs are so special, but they don't. The ones that participate do not get eaten ever. No, well, at least that year they get their they get their lives spared for a year. So, assuming the crabs know what's going on. They're probably very thankful that they're being painted. Oh, yes. Get my legs, please. (laughs) As he's watching his brethren fall. (laughs) Yes, this leg, too. (laughs) If they don't know what's going on, I mean, imagine yourself getting, I assume, pinned down down in some way and paint slathered all over you. (laughs) Not a fan. I'm going to say I'm not a fan. (laughs) The last real thing I want to cover about the fashion show before we get into any more questions, is Mm -hmm. how they get them to the runway. So there is a runway. There is a runway. Good. And how they have started in this new high-technology world of ours, how they get these crabs to the runway, is by drone. (laughs) They strap them in. Come on. (laughs) By strings dangling from a drone (laughs) and fly them into the runway. (laughs) So many questions. Is it one unique drone? Per crab. No, no, I have a, I have a picture of it actually. Um, it's it's a big drone, but they have two crabs tied to the drone, and they're just flying through the air, dangling. Again, with I want to know who these elite citizens are that get to paint the crabs, they get to dress the crabs, they get to fly the crabs. <laughs> I I think anybody who wants to enter the competition for dressing the crabs up can. I like to think that there is a drone competition to see who gets to fly the drones in. <laughs> but you have to have one of the crabs already attached for your race. <laughs> yeah. 
so one thing I want to get into is if you were running this crab fashion show, how would it go down? Would it be like American Idol style where the crabs come in an audition and so many get sent on to the next level? Or would it be kind of like a next top model thing? I was exactly going to say. Some elite crabs. We already, have, we already have the perfect framework to select <laughs> the next top model crab. <laughs> and it is America's <laughs> next top model. Now, I don't know that I would choose Tyra Banks to be my judge. I don't know if she could be that impartial when it comes to crabs. Yeah, I, and I honestly don't think she has the eye for it. Her eye mm. is so focused on the human body, right. I couldn't possibly expect her to be so diligent with the crabs. Right, so I'm going to give you, give me two, hit me with two of your um, Hawaiian's Next Top Crab model <laughs> judges. Who would? Yeah, the judges, I would pick... Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Mm, yes. <laughs> yes. And, and Elon Musk. He would be a bit too emotional, I think, for me. <laughs> I think I think you would need somebody to offset the rock's hilarity. And I think mm. Elon's sadness would be the perfect combination. <laughs> Elon sadness. <laughs> That's true. That is a nice dynamic. So I will bring in the third judge, and it would have to be Macho Man Randy Savage. <laughs> because the cream rises to the top. <laughs> Elon would be smothered by two pro wrestlers. Well, you need that, right? He would be the Simon Cow between the Randy Johnsons. <laughs> oh my goodness, dude. What a show that would be. Now, we have to have one auxiliary judge. Now, Jason, we should, we should agree on this one. But I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to go with another beefcake of Mike Tyson. <laughs> I, I don't know why, but in my head, sitting beside these three people is Ed Sheeran. <laughs> but he has to be dressed like he was from Game of Thrones. <laughs> now, what would, what, what would the first, this is as far as deep as we'll go into it. What's the first competition for these crabs? Is it can which crab can walk straight as opposed to sideways? <laughs> I think it's dynamic poses. <laughs> okay. So what what are you saying which one can like lift their heavy claw higher? I don't know what which you're one can, at. which one could stand maybe which one can stand on the least amount of feet? That would be pretty dynamic for That'd a crab. That'd be good. That'd be good. Fastest spins. <laughs> yes, exactly. Who can stay upside down the longest? That would be such a hilarious show. I would. <laughs> I mean, if if Netflix produced it, I'd go. I'd watch. I'd binge it for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I would. I would also like to put in like. Uh, a more classy person like mm. maybe like an emma watson oh okay okay some somebody to give some credibility to this group <laughs> of goobs <laughs> that's true <laughs> i think she would be able to coach just the raw elegance factor for sure Actually, we're introducing a total different thing here. we're coaching <laughs> them now <laughs> well jason if if you ever watched america the next top model the judges are also the coaches during the session. Okay. And I find it a little bit repulsive that you have not had that background before. Okay. I want to put Emma Watson in as a judge. Which mm -hmm. one of the judges are you kicking out? I don't want Elon Sadness there. <laughs> I don't want <laughs> No, if you I want everybody to still be on the show. Okay. But one of them has to be a coach. 
it's got to be Dwayne, right? He is one of the most in- just <laughs> yeah. inspirational. He would have that crab in the weight room probably seven days out of the week. <laughs> he would have the biggest claws. <laughs> oh, my God. Do you know how, how many crabs are represented each year? Uh, about 150. It, the, the first challenge, <laughs> the losers would probably get boiled, right? Just to sort of put that ex- extra threat out there. <laughs> I like to think that the show would, it would be like American Idol style to narrow it down to the top 30 crabs. And then we would turn it into America's Next Top Model. So you're saying it's kind of a populist vote to get into the top 30. Yeah. And then from there, Emma Watson, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, yeah. Macho Man, yeah. Andy Savage, and Elon Musk will have their say. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> I love it. I will. Netflix Netflix isn't allowed to make this show unless they can pull in those characters. Specifically TMTMT. <laughs> <laughs> Man, dude. I love it. This is a fantastic story with just endless possibilities. There is. I mean, they've been doing it for 70 years. But this conversation alone shows the amount of growth and potential exactly. that is still so left on the table. One of my last questions about the actual thing that happens instead of our made-up thing, which is, <laughs> ooh, I would argue a bit better. <laughs> what's what's the uh, typical turnout at this crab fashion show or like these celebrations? I'm not sure. They say that it's mostly the community coming together. If okay. there's 150 crabs participating. Right. How many people do you think you would have to get together before one person would say, I will dress the crab up? I think <laughs> it would need to be at least 50. Unless, so. it's, unless it's like a cool guy in the village. Like, yeah, dude, I'm going to totally dress up this crab. And then everyone's going to be like, yeah, me too. It's 50, it takes 50 people oh my to get one person willing to dress the crab up. And then throw in a couple there for the cool kid pulling in some extras. So, like, 50 times 150. That's just a guess. I don't know how many people are actually there. (laughs) That's awesome. I love it. That's it for this week's episode. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review. Uh, It helps us out a bunch. Uh, If you're interested in contacting us with one of your stories, like we had this week, or you want us to talk about something, you can reach us at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at figofmyreality. And our email is figmint at myreality at gmail.com. Hit us with that fact. In Japan, letting a sumo wrestler make your baby cry is considered good luck. And that's our piece of reality for the week. I'm Jeremy Bales. <laughs> and I'm Jason Wright. Talk to you next week. Bye.